Well, I walked into the office tonight, and I heard them singing. They were practicing Brother Pickett's office, which is pretty unusual. I've never seen them do that before. And they sounded beautiful, just like they did there. And uh, I walk in, and I'm getting some stuff ready for youth prayer meeting, and I hear Brother Pickett say, well, the only thing that's really given me any, given us any problems is the chorus. And I was like, sounded pretty good to me. <laughs> I don't know. I said, ladies, he's hard to please anyway. So I wouldn't worry. Miss Pam looked at me and was like, I know, I know. <laughs> anyway, but that was beautiful, very good for the picket. If you hadn't held them down, uh, no telling how that would have sounded. But I'm thankful for that effort and thankful for their spirit in which they sang it. Acts chapter 15 tonight. Now we have really covered quite a bit of Paul's life. We've covered his infancy as a Christian and even before that. We covered him being the, the assassin, the persecutor, the, per, the man who was consenting unto the death of Stephen. And the same man who was breathing out uh, threatenings of slaughter against the church. And, and we've covered those things and really... It is a wonderful study about the life of the Apostle Paul. And very early in his life, it's very transitional. And what I mean by that is he's growing a lot as a Christian. And thankfully, a man by the name of Barnabas takes him under his wing and disciples him. And that's why I believe in discipleship. And when I say discipleship, I don't mean a curriculum. Uh, I don't mean a book. I mean Christians helping other Christians live the Christian life. So I believe in discipleship, and Barnabas helps Paul along that journey, helps him in his conversion from Saul to Paul. And now we really are getting into Paul's ministry. We're seeing people begin to uh, uh, maybe almost uh, buck against some of the things that he's teaching and some of the things he's saying. We're seeing people get saved as a result of some of his sermons, but we're also seeing people uh, really... Uh, uh, stand against him and oppose him in some of his teachings and some of his ways. And that's really where we find ourselves tonight in Acts chapter 15. And if you've ever been a part of ministry at all, or if, you, if you've uh, had the opportunity to serve in ministry in any capacity, you know that you won't be in it long until opposition hits you. And so this is what uh, Paul is, is noticing right here. Acts chapter 15, verse number 1. The Bible says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phinehas and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. When there had been much disputing, Peter rose up. Now, that's 
a, a new thing that Peter's involved in our story. Uh, it was Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas were called to the church. But we find here that not only is Paul and Barnabas there and other leaders among the early church, but Peter is there. And Peter rose up and said unto them, verse 7, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them. And I am so thankful for that statement right there. I cannot tell you the beauty of what he just said in that phrase. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Amen and amen. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence, gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Father, this evening we come to you with a sense of urgency. We need to hear from you, Lord. I pray that your word would be quick and sharp and, and piercing, even to the dividing asunder of soul and uh, spirit, Lord. I pray that as that promise is in the word of God, I pray that it would be delivered tonight. Lord, I pray that you would be with the man of God. I pray that you would help me be a humble man. I pray that you would give me wisdom and discretion and leadership in this pulpit. Father, but I pray ultimately that the foolishness of the preaching of the cross would be powerful tonight. And Lord, that's what your word promises. So God, I claim that promise. And I pray that you would have that way in this service this evening. I pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen. Have you ever worked uh, a long time on a certain project, heading in a certain direction, only to get almost completely done with that project and realize, I've been doing this wrong the entire time? One evening, this was right before Amy and I got married, so this was just over three years ago, uh, I was getting the duplex that me and Amy would be living in ready so that we could move in. And all that we needed to move in uh, to this duplex was a TV was number one, obviously. Then the Bible. No, 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 I'm just, I'm just kidding. We had an old, old, old TV, one of the ones that actually had furniture built around it, you know, and it was inlaid in the furniture. And so that was the TV that we had there. We had two old reclining chairs. We called them dead grandma chairs because the lady who owned the apartment and died, they were hers. And so we just used the dead grandma chairs. And I know that's sad, but that's what we called them. And so then we, uh, <laughs> I don't know what y'all are even whispering about, but that's, uh, I'm just saying, I'm, I may not be perfect. I, I thought I expressed that completely this morning. But um, uh, so we had those chairs and then we had a bed. And so we were assembling that bed. And so I knew that Amy would have some luggage that I'd be bringing back from North Carolina. And so uh, I needed a place to put her luggage. And so one of the very first purchases that I made was a dresser. Now, I was not into spending a lot of money, to be honest with you, especially right there at the beginning, because we needed to order dominoes every night for about 12 weeks to get Amy's feet on the ground. But, 
But uh, she's in toddlers tonight, so I can say literally anything I want. But uh, so we were, uh, I, I had this dresser, and so I was debating between three. Uh, I was debating between cardboard boxes. I was debating between the Rubbermaid containers and just stacking them. But I decided to go the expensive route and buy a brand new piece of furniture from Big Lots. So I spent the extra coin and got a very high quality piece of furniture. Well, I needed to put this together. And so I, I, I called my friend Cody and I asked him to come over and help me. I said, hey man, we'll, we'll uh, order some pizza. We'll turn on the Rangers game and we will assemble this furniture and it will be done in no time. So me and Cody get going on this piece of furniture. And what you don't realize before you buy it is everything at Big Lot seems to be made in China. And they don't use Phillips head or flat heads over there. In fact, they don't even use screws over there. They use this very confusing device that you slide it in and turn this plastic piece to lock over. It's the most confusing thing ever. So what I thought originally was going to take us about 30 minutes to an hour, four and a half hours later, me and Cody are just now getting to work on the drawers. So me and Cody have worked quite a while on this, and we have the entire shell of the uh, uh, dresser built, but we have six drawers that we have to put together. And so I said, Cody, you grab three and I'll grab three, and we'll assemble them. Well, I am going on my drawers, and Cody seems to be progressing on his drawers. And, and we finally get done about an hour later, and we go to slide them in, right? The moment of truth. You've got to make sure that your track fits on your rail and make sure it opens and closes without collapsing. And so I put my drawers in just fine, and they slid in, and I grabbed one of Cody's drawers, and it didn't fit in the hole that was there for the drawer. And after we began to inspect it, what Cody had done is where the, the uh, side pieces that make the drawer long and make it go back into the dresser, he had put those as the front pieces. And so literally where the drawer should have been rectangular east to west, it was now rectangular north to south. And so we, we realized at that point that all that time that we had spent making those drawers, we had done it incorrectly, and we had to go back and fix it. What I want to be very careful of as a church is I want to make sure that we are worshiping God and we are living the Christian life exactly how he wants us to. I don't want us to have the faith that our fathers passed down if the faith that they passed down was wrong. I don't want to do what granddad did just because granddaddy did it. And I have, I claim to be a Baptist, but if Baptists ever begin doing anything that is not biblical, I will no longer be a Baptist. I will be a Bible believer. You understand, we're not Baptists because we claim a name. We're Baptists because we believe the Bible. So I want to make sure that we believe the truth. Nothing but the truth, so help us God. But what do we have to do to find this truth? How are we going to evaluate if what we do is the truth? Well, I believe that's what we're going to take a look at tonight. First of all, I want to point this out to you. In our passage tonight, we have the combining of truth. Look in verse number one. What's taking place is there's a group of men that are passing 
upon the church a doctrine that is not familiar. Verse number one, the Bible says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Verse number five, we find out a little bit more about what they're talking about. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, this is very different than the message that Paul was saved by. This is very different than the message that was passed and preached by Christ himself. This is very different because these men are saying that you have to be circumcised. They're saying that you have to keep the law in order for you to be saved. And what's taking place at this point in the church is there's a bunch of Gentiles getting saved. There's people who are uh, non-Jewish who are coming to Christ, and Christ opened the door of salvation to them just like he did to the Jews and just like he did to the nation of Israel. And so he uh, uh, gives them that salvation, but the sect of the Pharisees is passing upon them the old traditions. What we have to be careful of is that we don't pass traditions upon people and then in their mind they think that that is necessary for salvation. We have to make sure that we preach the truth and nothing but the truth and that when someone is saved, they know it's not by their works and they know that it's not by baptism, but it's only by believing in the name of the Son of God and His work on Calvary that will save them. But Satan is so clever in the way that he wraps truth or wraps his lies and ties it with a little truth. And I call your mind back to the Garden of Eden where Satan tells Adam and Eve, says, Has God surely said that if you eat of the fruit thou shalt surely die? Thou shalt not surely die. Let me ask you a question. In Adam and Eve's mind, and the way we have read that story, do we not perceive it to mean an immediate death when God gives that command? And I'm sure in Adam and Eve's mind, they perceived an immediate death as well, as an immediate punishment for their failure to obey God. That's the way we read it immediately. And so Adam and Eve understood it that way. But what Satan did was, he said, Oh, you're not going to die the way you think you're going to die. And he was right. Because where they thought it was an immediate death as punishment, it was not an immediate death in a physical sense. It was an immediate separation from God, an immediate spiritual death that separated them from the fellowship that they had enjoyed every day in the cool of the evening. And that was the death. But Satan knew that they were thinking physical death. And so Satan told them a lie like, oh, there's not going to be any punishment for what you do. And he wrapped it with this little lie. Then he goes on to say, you shall become as gods, knowing good and evil. Oh, and he's appealing to the pride of life. He's appealing to the fact that we as men have always sought power. And it's such a prideful and selfish selfish attribute that we have. But We've sought that power and success. 
What he says is, Adam and Eve, all you've got to do is eat this fruit and you'll become just like him. Now, did they become omniscient at the time of fruit, uh, uh, eating the fruit? No. Did they become omnipresent? Absolutely not. Did they become omnipotent in the fact that they could have all power over everything? Absolutely not. Now, that's what they thought. He goes on to say, knowing good and evil. Now, the crazy thing is, he was right. Because God, at this point in history, was the only person who understood consequences for failure. Because they had never failed. They had never disobeyed. And so God knew that if they took of that fruit, they would die. God knew that if they took of that fruit, it was disobedience. God knew that it was wrong. But they didn't. Because they had never failed before. And he says, oh, the second you eat that fruit, you'll know what you did. They take of that fruit, and immediately they look at one another and they realize they're naked. And their sin nature immediately overtakes them. See, what's so clever about Satan is he wraps his lies in bows of truth. He wraps his lies in these clever little disguises. Here what he's doing is he's calling back terms to these Jews' mind that they used to be very familiar with. And he's calling back terms like circumcision. And he's calling back terms like the law of Moses. And if you study the Old Testament, there is no contradiction between the Old and New Testament. There is no difference between the way Abraham was saved and the way we're saved. Uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So we believe God and what he did for us on the cross. And that's where we're saved. That's where our salvation is based. Not in works of righteousness that we can do. Just like Abraham obeying God did not earn his salvation. But what these Pharisees are doing is they're calling back partial truths but lying and saying it is needful for salvation. Oh, Satan's so clever. He's so clever in the fact that he always promises good while never talking about the evil. Now, there are certain fruits and certain vegetables and certain foods that I feel Satan has had a hand in. And what I mean by this is it is the vegetables that we have to cover up with things that are more edible. I'll give you an example. Broccoli and cheese. Who doesn't love cheese? And if you're lactose intolerant, I'm sorry, but you would love cheese if you could have it. Cheese is wonderful. Today, we were at lunch and we were eating at uh, Napoli's and Craig looked at Amy and they ordered this meal that had tons of cheese in it. And Craig goes, I think it's a little light on the something cheese, and then it's a little heavy on this cheese. And Amy goes, I just like cheese. (laughs) Cheese is wonderful. And so what we do to trick ourselves into eating this garbage, we douse it in cheese. I'll give you another example. Beans. How could we make beans better? They don't taste good. Their texture is terrible. They go in your mouth and you're wondering why there's 
liquid already in your mouth when you eat the food and the beans and they, they, they taste bad. You know what somebody, a wise man, did one day? We'll throw bacon in it. That way you'll eat around the beans to get to the bacon. Same thing with, uh, uh, with green beans. Green beans taste terrible until you throw huge chunks of bacon in it. And really, we're eating bacon with a side of green beans. When somebody wises up to this act, we'll stop cooking the beans at all, and we'll just have a plate of bacon. And while we may feel guilty about our uh, uh, food choices, we will be happier Christians. But that's exactly what Satan does. He, he gives us this little, little lure almost, this, this attractant. But it always leads to, uh, to filth, and it always leads to pain and destruction. That's what Satan gives us. Let me give you an example of this, and this is something that I want to talk to you about. Be very careful of churches who go on outreaches to feed the hungry. I have no problem with feeding the hungry, but that's not the church's mission. I have no problem giving fresh water to people who are dehydrated and almost about to die. But what we have done is Satan is allowing this. I believe this is Satan's influence in the church. As long as he can get our focus on something and take it off the main thing, then he's accomplished the, 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 the right thing. The main thing is that men would be confronted with their need for a savior. And if you give thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for people to get their eyes checked, but they never find out about Christ, you have accomplished nothing. And so what Satan says is, oh, go on a missions trip. But forget about the mission. Be careful. Because as I look around, while we may not take missions trips to Tahiti and to all these uh, uh, exotic places to give the gospel out uh, or, or to help them with their diseases or with their problems, I promise you this, that wherever we go and whoever we bless and whoever we do something for, it is accompanied by the gospel. Today, a man in the back of the auditorium asked me for money. You know what I asked him about? His need is for salvation. See, it makes no difference if we make this life more comfortable and the next one they suffer for eternity. Combining of truths. Secondly, I want you to know how they reacted to this combining of truth. They challenged the teaching. Verse number two, and I love this. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. In other words, they got mad. They got mad because somebody was polluting the purity of the gospel. The ease of it. The simplicity of it. Somebody was making it more hard on people to get saved than it should have been. And so the Bible says, oh, there was no small dissension or disputation, or it was a big deal. There was a big conflict. 
they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. You see, immediately they found out about the teaching and they challenged it. They stood up for what they knew was right. Did you know it is taught all throughout the Bible that we are to know our Bible so that we can stand up for when people attack our Bible? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is in you. Be ready to give an answer. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. In other words, new ideas and new philosophies and new doctrines will hit us like a ship in a sea. But if we are grounded and rooted by the Word of God and we know the book that God has given us to find direction and to find doctrine, if we know this book, we won't be tossed back and forth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine. It is a blessed thing that our God not only loved us enough to save us, but gave us a book who gives, that shows His personality and shows us what we are to believe while we're on this earth. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind, notice this, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. In other words, these people were noble Christians because when a man preached the word of God to them, they received it with a ready and open heart, but they did not just believe it because someone was telling it to them. You know what they did? After the preacher preached a sermon, they went home on Monday and they opened their Bible and they sat down with their children and they said, this is why we believe what the preacher taught yesterday. What he said was right, because it says it not only in Acts, but it says it in Matthew, Jesus says it. It says it here in, in, in 1 Timothy, Paul reconfirms it. You see, it says it here even in the Old Testament. That's what we are to do. We are to know our Bible so that when people come and they start to spew these falsities upon us, we won't be tossed. We won't be wavering. We will know the Bible that God has given us. You know, there's countries that don't have a translation of the Word of God. There's entire cultures that don't have the opportunity to know what we know. Yet oftentimes it sits on our coffee table untouched, unopened, and you know what? We remain unlearned. What a shame. They confront these men. They say, what you're teaching is wrong, and this is why. There was no small conflict. One of the things that makes our religion beautiful is the fact that we don't have some priest or some monk telling us how to live this life. You see, your relationship with Christ depends on me none at all because you have a personal relationship and you have a personal Bible that you can open up tonight and in the morning. What a beautiful thing! But because we have become so familiar with it, we take it for granted. They confront these men. When I was in college, I know it bugged my dad. 
But every day I was going to classes. I would take my freshman semester, I took 16 hours to kind of get familiar with the course of college. Every semester after that, I took over 18, and three semesters, I took 21 hours trying to get done so I could marry the beautiful lady that's in the nursery quicker. But I was taking class after class. I would go from Bible Doctrines 3 to Advanced Evangelism to Daniel and Revelation, and I was being bombarded with teachings and with, with things that I had n was not familiar with. You know what I would do? I'd get on the phone. And I'd call my dad. Not because dad believed it, because if you ask him, he knows I was questioning. I wasn't doing it in a disrespectful manner, but I wanted to make sure that what I had been taught all my life, what, what these men were telling me up in front of me, that it was right. You know why? Because I have that right. I have the right to know the truth. I have the right to believe the way that God wants me to believe. It is an opportunity that not a lot of people have, but I am one of those people that have the opportunity to know God's mind and heart for me. So I promise you, I'm going to do everything I can to know it. I'm going to know the truth. If you have to call your pastor and ask him if this sounds right, it was a blessing to me to see an email from a church member this week asking for support, asking for help. It's a blessing when one of my teenagers comes up to me and says, Brother Andrew, I just don't know. Can you help me with this? Uh, somebody asked me a question the other day, and what I did is I gave them three pages just on the topic saying, hey, this is what I believe, but at the end of it I said, don't believe it because I believe it. I gave you this because I believe it this way, but don't. that doesn't mean you have to. You search it out. You study it. Oh, it is, if people come with these falsities and the combining and mixtures of truth, make sure that we know our Bible just enough to stand up and challenge them and be ready to give an answer. Thirdly, I want to take a look at this tonight. This is what takes place. Paul and Barnabas stand up. There's a very large confrontation. They say what you're teaching is not right. And so we have a collaboration of the top dogs. Now, I find this very odd and very unique, but look in verse uh, number 6. The Bible says, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. In other words, they had a meeting. And they were trying to figure out what was truth, what was right. And there are some big wigs at this dude, man. Peter's at this. And this isn't the Peter that denied Christ. I mean, it's the same guy, but it's not the same Christian. Because this is the Peter after Acts chapter 2 who stood up and preached at the day of Pentecost. This is the Peter that without Peter, we probably don't have the New Testament church as we know it. This guy is on fire. We have Barnabas, no doubt the best discipler in the Word of God. We have Paul. We all know who Paul is. He's probably the best preacher in the Bible. Paul, the missionary, the guy who, who starts uh, all these churches, the guy who writes almost our entire New Testament. All these guys are at this meeting. And this is what they cover. Look in verse number 7. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. I want to show you two things that they cover. 
they go over the people who were to receive the message. Look, verse 7, he says, God made choice among us that the Gentiles. You see, the message just wasn't for Israel. And while he was the Messiah of Israel, he's my Savior as well. And, and, and he did not come for just a chosen few, but he allowed me access into his, to his uh, love and to his sacrifice on Calvary. And I'm so thankful for that. And Peter says, look, he told us when he left this earth that he would include everyone in this. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. We're not there yet in our study, but this is what the Bible says. As Paul preaches on Athens, he says, And the times of this ignorance God winked, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The Bible says uh, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of Christ. You see, God loves all men, and God died for all men. And so Peter stands up in the amongst of this meeting and says, Friends! The Gentiles have just as much right to salvation as I do. What a blessing. Not only do they cover the people, they cover the plan. Look at this. That the Gentiles, how's it going to happen, Pete? By my mouth. Man, there are so many different methods for evangelizing this world. There is a movement now that I refer to as the emergent church, a easy believism type religion, if you will. And this is springing up. And their goal is to evangelize this world in every way but mouth-to-mouth conversation. Because they're going to make attractive videos and they're going to have attractive blogs and they're going to witness through videos and through uh, uh, other methods, but... They're not going to go house to house. They're not going to confront people with their need for the Savior. You know what Peter says? How are they going to hear? By me telling them. Did you know an advertisement? There is no better advertisement than word of mouth. You see, I have partaken in a business. I've been a patron of the business. And I enjoyed the service that I received there. So I go to my friend, Brother John, and say, Brother John... I was at this restaurant the other day. I'll tell you what, I went to the outback over there on uh, Airport Freeway. Thankfully, it was a great evening. I told that manager, I said, this was the best experience dining I've had in a long time. I said, the waiter's been great. The people that brought my food out were great. They had a balloon lady going around, and she made a little balloon for Caitlin. And I said, that was great. I tell you, ma'am, the food was phenomenal. This was a great experience. If you ever go to outback, that's a good one. And you know what I've done? is I have showed him that I witnessed something great and that he, if he wants to be a, a part of something cool and great, he should go there. You know what we do is we go tell people about our Savior? The Bible calls us witnesses because he's already made an impact on us and all we're saying is, hey, look, he's done so much for me, he can do the same thing for you. How are they going to hear? Word of mouth. Oh, we can try dilly-dallying around and we can try every other method under the sun, but the only plan God has for telling, telling this world about His Son is that we should be witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem and to the uttermost parts of the world. That's His method. That's His plan. Now, it's intimidating. It's scary for fear of rejection. 
But you know what? He knew rejection was coming, and he still went the extra mile. So how can we cower down when people need to hear the plan? The collaboration of the top dogs, I want you to finally notice this. How are we going to be a church who lives in truth? How do you know that the reason that we have a piano, how do you know that these instruments right over here are okay? How do you know that the screens are okay? How do you know that the worship experience that you get when you come to this church is right? Because the concession of the title. Look at this. Verse number 13. And after they had held their peace. Now who's that? This bigwigs. Peter. This is Paul. This is Barnabas. James answered. Okay, James. Who are you? Look at this. Saying, men and brethren, hearken unto me. Hearken unto me. Now, no offense, James, but Peter's here. No offense, but Paul's here. Barnabas is here. James, why would we listen to you? I'll tell you why. Because he's the pastor. This is the church at Jerusalem. Several different times throughout the Word of God, when something big happens around and in Jerusalem, the first person that they mention to go tell is James. And now you see his direct authority, even though there is apostles around. James says, hearken unto me. You want to know how this church is going to stay in truth? The pastors remain in tune with God. And you be willing to submit to the direction they have. How do we know that there isn't another worship experience that is better or more productive? How do we know that a rock band on the stage is not pleasing to our God? How do we know that? I'll say this about that. Did you know the most fun worship service in the entire Bible took place at the foot of a golden calf? People were eating and drinking, and then they rose up to play. The funnest worship experience in all the Bible took place at the foot of the golden calf. Worship was never meant to be fun. Worship was meant to bring men into closer fellowship with their Savior. And any time I see true worship in the Bible, it does not involve men's hands up. It involves men's faces down. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. What did he do? He bowed down and said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And you say, is there anything wrong with drums? I don't want to go there, but respect the direction that we're taking this thing. And if you do not agree with the instruments that we have or, or with the direction of this church, you are disobeying the Word of God because the Bible says that you are to submit yourselves to the people who look over your soul, that they may be able to give account to God, that they do it with joy and not sorrow, for that is not profitable for you. You see, God is giving us direction. And sometimes, I don't know how He speaks to us, Dad. Sometimes it's so strange how He guides us. You know, there have been situations and circumstances in the past year and a half, two years, three years, that honestly it seemed like we were at our rope's end, wasn't it? 
I mean, it honestly seemed like the next day the church's doors were going to shut down. He's saying, no way, I promise you this is happening. And at that moment, me, I had no direction. And honestly, I was leaning upon him because I'm like, where, where are we going? And God guided us through. It's not by our wisdom. It's not by our experience. It's by men being submissive to God. That's how you know we're on the right track. That's how you know that we are living and abiding in truth. And if we ever begin to teach things that are contrary to what the Bible teaches, and you have the right to question, if we ever begin to do that, you need to find a place that is not teaching controversial things against the Word of God. If, if, if there's ever a law passed that talks about homosexual, homosexuality not being able to be preached about, and we stop preaching it, we're not preaching the entire Word of God. You need to find a new place to worship. Amen. You say, you might go to jail. I am called to preach the Word of God. I am to obey God rather than men. And so, if I'm not preaching the entire Word of God, you're not living in truth. Every once in a while, I have these seasons where I become very involved in something. This time of year, my season is Bible reading and prayer and deer hunting. Not necessarily in that order. It, it just, me and Dad have kind of an inside joke uh, on a beautiful day when the weather's kind of cool and maybe it's a little overcast and maybe a little misty we walk outside and we'll say boy dad this this weather will make your neck swell won't it because we know man we want to be in a deer blind we want to be hunting and leading up to these seasons and i have several of them and i feel so bad for my wife because there's always a season for everything there is a season the bible says and man this time of year you know what what i do I'm getting on online, I'm checking magazines, I'm watching hunting shows just for that one last tidbit of valid information that's going to help me seal the deal. And by that I mean take a photograph of the animal. <laughs> and I become so involved in seeking out something that will help me. I study it. And, and I'm sure that there are things in your life that you enjoy or that you partake in. For some people, it's cars. For some people, it's, it's farming or planting a garden. Whatever yours is, there's these things that you enjoy studying and you enjoy participating in. And, so, and for some, it's Alabama football. But there's these things that you enjoy. And so you do everything you can to know, everything you can about it. That's the way we ought to be as truth seekers. I don't know about you, but I have prayed this prayer before. God, if I am doing something wrong in my worship, if I'm doing something wrong in my daily life, Lord, if I'm doing something wrong as a leader of a youth department and as a leader of this church, if I'm doing something wrong, please show it to me. Because I want to be as pure of a truth seeker as I can. I don't want there to be error in me. That's why David says, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. 
Try me, O God. See if, if there's some falsity in me, because, Lord, I desire nothing but truth. And the Bible says that God desires truth in the inward parts. So are you a truth seeker? It is my job as pastor of this church and my dad's job as pastor of this church to find truth. And every, every piece of technology, every uh, uh, thing that comes down the line that may help us get the message of the gospel out, all of these things, you know what we are to do? Run it through the Word of God. And if there's anything conflicting with this, we are to say, no go. But it also is upon you as a Christian. And I use that term too frequently, as a disciple. Do you know the term Christian is used, I believe, three times in the Word of God, and the term disciple is used well over 60? As a disciple, it is your job to be a truth seeker so that you know to give, a man, to give an answer to any man that questions your faith, so that you know how this church is to be ran. And if it ever begins to veer off course, you're there, not to correct, but to pull your family out if something goes wrong. The task is on you. Are you a truth seeker? Because I don't know about you, but I want my family to be raised in the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God.